I just remember like I was in Santa Monica. I looked up at a billboard, thought I'm really bored. I want to do more math. And that <laughs> night ended up on the uh, Bitcoin wiki page about contracts, which also had like a few sentences about autonomous agents and a bunch of references to Nick Sabo. And I had what like at the time I thought was just like a crazy episode where I was like up for three days straight, nearly hallucinating about autonomous agents and like software economies. Mm -hmm. Normal stuff. Normal stuff, yeah. All right, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of The Network Age. I'm Bitchel Ritson, here as always with my incredibly handsome co-hosts, Timbuk Miftev and Nilrun Mardux. And today we have some extra special guests joining us, Ethereum OGs, Matt Liston and Grant Hummer. Thanks for, thanks for getting on the pod, guys. We're really excited to have you. Yeah, great to be here. Awesome. Yeah. And I think we should just start by uh, giving both of you guys a chance to explain a little bit your history, what you've done in Ethereum and the larger uh, blockchain ecosystem. So, uh, Matt, wh what have you been up to? How'd you how'd you get into this crazy world? Yeah, I, um, I, I got into crypto in 2010 um, through like a quantum digital cash talk at Caltech. Then again in 2012, um, I ended up bored with what I was doing and obsessing over the Bitcoin contract thing and autonomous agents page. Um, first contact was, of course, Nick Sabo. Emailed him. He responded something like a year later and was like, hey, you should talk to Talit. <laughs> At that point, um, I already was. Um, so that's sort of like the early intro. Um, I tried pitching sort of like various other projects, but what ended up sticking was decentralized prediction markets and Oracle um, and uh, started getting that built on Ethereum. Um, ancient history, but, you know, of course, uh, everyone has drama with their own early projects. So, <laughs> uh, left that, uh, Vitalik, uh, asked me to like join the Ethereum Foundation and did that for a second, nearly imploded Ethereum before it launched. Um, you personally? Like, yeah, me, me personally. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it was productive. That's like another backstory. I got a lot of thank yous and a lot of enemies who like actually became not enemies. Um, really. <laughs> We'll go. We'll get into that pretty soon. Um, and so, what what happened after that? After the Ethereum Foundation stint? After that, oh right. So, I there was this like early conference called Crypto Economicon um, in Palo Alto where um, I had like talked about uh, Ethereum 2.0 and AI uh, in must have been 2015. Um, which it was supposed to be Ethereum, you know, proof of stake was six months out from then. And um, Martin um, Kuppelman and Stefan George of Gnosis were also there. Um, I ended up reaching out to them about Gnosis, which is um, another now much more successful, um, although not really focused on prediction markets anymore, but um, prediction market platform. Um, 
Joe Lubin was very skeptical of me, um, but eventually I got a job at Gnosis. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was sort of like um, the core thing I've done. Um, after that, I blew up the Ethereum Foundation yet again. Um, <laughs> and then started a religion and through- Yeah, we definitely want to get to get to that eventually. Yeah, and then after the religion, um, you know, as as all good um, prophets do, I disappeared um, mm-hmm. to uh, fulfill the the prophecy. Right. Yeah. Uh, here I am living in my church, um, literally, and uh, this is actually like my first. I think this is my first reappearance to like meet space, or, or I guess not meet space, but like you you've rolled away people. the stone and come out of the cave. Yes. And here we are. Yeah. yeah here awesome. We are. Well, that's that's good. I think there's a there's a lot of stuff we really want to get into there. But uh, before we do, uh, Grant, thank you also for for joining us. And I of know course. you and uh, you and Matt are Ethereum buddies from way back. But wondering if you could also yes. just give us a little bit of context for uh, yes. what you how you got here and what you've been up to. Right. So uh, I've been in crypto uh, a while. Um, I think I first discovered Bitcoin in 2010, 2011, um, and uh, I really got, I really got into the Silk Road. Um, I never bought any drugs, but I uh-huh. just love anyone porn. listening. No uh, drugs. <laughs> for for uh, not that I'm opposed to it, but I, I never, I just never did. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I never, I, I never, never, you know, participated in anything illegal. But I just loved reading the forums. And I love the whole ethos. You're there for the plot. Yeah, there, there was actually a um, a sub forum on like libertarian treatises, you know, and how um, we should all be sovereign individuals and and so forth. And so I would post and read that quite often. Um, anyway, so I, I yeah, I was fascinated by Bitcoin for many years. Um, kind of lost interest around 2013. Bitcoin seems to me like a very navel gazy sort of asset and community. The, the meme around it has changed numerous times um, from uh, medium of exchange to now digital gold and everything in between. Um, in 2015, I discovered Ethereum. Uh, like Matt, I had this sort of cosmic consciousness moment in Haight-Ashbury, um, where <laughs> you know, I see the entire world running on trustless decentralized rails. And mm. uh, from that moment on, I've been pretty much all in. Um, so yeah. Uh, and I started the Ethereum developers meetup with Martin Koppelman um, in late 2015. We've, we've done a lot of events. We just restarted it. And um, yeah, I'm just pretty active, like helping out different projects in the Ethereum ecosystem and the Ethereum Foundation as well. Interesting. Yeah, I, I remember you from because we had like a mutual friend who was living there in San Francisco and he would, you know, refer to you as like, you know, the person I know who is all in on ETH and puts all like all money he has into Ethereum all the time. And then and then I guess like, you know, the New York Times story came out at like the height of the 2018 bubble, like where they basically printed your net worth and various things. So I guess yes, at that time yes. I was like, all right, he like he had, you know, Grant had it right all along. But um. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I actually didn't realize you had been in it uh, so you know so long at that time. Yes, yes, I've I've uh, been in Ethereum for quite a while, um, and um, yeah, and, you know, um, I think I think it's made massive strides 
there were there were um, a few moments in Ethereum's history where things looked a little shaky. Yeah, I think maybe we can move on to talk about that. Yeah. So the thing we want to, I think the thing we want to get into first is like the thing that Ethereum was first known for the most, because it's, it's just, I think a lot of us have had a lot of touch points with that. So we want, we've been talking a lot about kind of capital formation, both privately, you know, between ourselves and a little bit on the pod. And obviously like ICOs were sort of the first, like, you know, the time that people really got to like see a different version of that outside of um, you know, the sort of private and public uh, stock markets. And you guys obviously both were, you know, very, very much there. So I'm interested in, I guess, let's start with Matt, uh, your take on sort of where, you know, ICOs started, where they went, and what were, what were like, what was sort of the good and bad? And what was the peak of it? And where can we go from here? Sure. Well, you know, to start with, I'm like, kind of like literally religious about crypto. So, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I talk about sort of these like, um, you know, more profane threads of crypto, it's not that I think that's sort of like the telos of crypto, um, but sort of just like the, the base reality. Um, I, I think crypto has largely just been um, a series of innovations on, um, you know, like highly accessible casinos and pyramid schemes and that's how it should be um it's sort of this uh you know like the final crypto reality that we all dream of bringing itself into existence um via uh you know more and more uh, decentralized marketing schemes i.e casinos um mm -hmm. so i i really think that the Golden Age of ICOs, which um, I consider sort of like 2016 through maybe Q3 2017, um, was um, uh, sort of just like an innovation on, you know, like 2012, 13, 14, et cetera, um, shitcoin markets um, that finally became something like pure, where um, people in that era, um, you know, d despite maybe varying amounts of um, sincerity, uh, I don't, I don't yeah, know. No, 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 no. Um, I, I was I was looking for um, a better word for being crackheads. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Amped up. Yeah, yeah. Despite you know varying amounts of like crack pipe smoking, um, we're we're very sincere. Um, you know, even like the quote unquote, like scammers or like sketchy people, um, that of, of that era were like very sincere, although probably like misguided, um, like their, their dreams were a little scam. too big for the times. Their dreams were a little too big for the times. And they were like, you know, they believed themselves too much and they were good at talking, but they weren't this type of like scammer that we've had after where it's just like they come in from outside outside of crypto and they're just like fucking sharks, right? Mm. Where like the start is just to like take money from people and, and like no sort of like utopian ideals or like believing in it whatsoever. So um, I also think that the best crypto art came out of that period. Um, I think that the ICOs in that period, um, you know, pretty much none of them were like viable businesses. Um, but they painted these like speculative projects and then had, you know, 
capital formation around them. And it was like absolutely beautiful. And I also think that everything that's come after has been, or almost everything, has been sort of like an echo of that era. Um, you know, even like I look at sort of like the NFT boom and I'm like, oh, this is not about art. Um, this is just like, you know, sort of like the 2020s take on like the 2017 ICO boom. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I actually think that um, that period was like beautiful and it's really just gotten worse since. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested in, do you think that when we say that was a golden age, I think like it sounds like you're saying it was a golden age because of that like sort of insane, almost like del like delusional, either like ambition, utopianness that was like lost after. Um, do you think that it end, that, that period, that golden age ended because of regulatory reasons? Or do you think we sort of ran out of crackheads um, to have that kind of like, you know, passion. So was it more on like a, it was kill, like it was murdered or it died? You know, I, I think it was more murdered, although it's not as simple as that, right? Okay. Like I think if, you know, if, if say, you know, an agency had come in and regulated it at that point and regulated it with like sane regulations, like sandboxing, where, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you do something with good intent uh, within reasonable bounds, you know, we're like not going to go after you. I think if that had occurred, um, you know, we probably would have had like another good six months. And then I think it would have like continued <laughs> in some form beyond then. Um, but the, the second sort of like death knell was, you know, it just, it got too popular. It marketed itself. Um, so, you know, as soon as there's more people wanting to put money in, um, and there's sort of like more external from crypto sharks coming in. Um, you know, basically a lot of people came in and um, I, I hated myself for years because of this and basically like cloned the Gnosis white paper and the Gnosis raised mm. my and all these things and raised 10x on proper scams. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess to answer that like succinctly, it was more murdered. Mm -hmm. hmm. But not, yeah, but like, I think here. sometimes people... I think sometimes people think of the murder as regulatory, so it's interesting to get your take on it, like, also being people within the industry. It was also, it was regulatory not in the ways people think. It was regulatory because it actually needed regulations. Um, mm. But not necessarily needed regulations to clean up, but needed regulations so that people who were more well-intentioned didn't get scared away. Um, because... Mm combination of like regulatory fear and you know sort of like lack of of any framework um was a filter for bad actors interesting so it almost ran out of good actors there in the crackheads who because it made idea, them so. it made it too hard for them to yeah i mean i think it was totally murdered um you know i i i remember that i remember being there um it's funny, you know, the word shitcoin originated around that time. So I, I take the total opposite view. It was the opposite of a golden age. It was like a dark age of absolute um, crap that, you know, is no, not being used at all today. Um, so, you know, you, you look at the ICOs from 2016, right? Like First Blood, uh, Singular DTV, Economy, you know, they raised millions of dollars at the time, which grew to hundreds of millions or billions 
and like who knows where that money went uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot of houses in dubai uh you know <laughs> so <laughs> really yeah. no ico gains so yeah I, th I think i think it was just like an abysmal misallocation of capital um and by and large useless hey, i needed that ico money baby it was all for yeah, me uh, yeah so uh you know the dow happened back then uh which i'm sure we some people remember um so yeah, anyway, I, I think the golden ages are ahead of us when this shit actually becomes useful uh, for the world at large. Uh, sure. And so, Grant, I'm wondering, is, do you think it was just like way too early then? Like it just wasn't possible to be useful at that phase? Uh, th there was one facet of it which was useful, which was it demonstrated the ability to raise capital at scale um, yeah. in this yeah. very mm -hmm. trustless way, which was like kind of the first product market fit for crypto. So... Um, that that was that was very interesting um and it also demonstrated the ability for this trustless system to work in some capacity with large amounts of money uh which is kind of a low bar admittedly but you know it it, it, it was something um so yeah i think uh and it, and it was too early um you know the ico boom um sort of crescendoed in late 20 sorry early 2018 with crypto kitties Mm -hmm. We're like, you know, it, it would co cost you like hundreds of dollars to make an Ethereum transaction. So the demand for block space massively exceeded the supply. And, you know, at that point, everything just sort of imploded. Um, and that's why we have uh, rollups coming. Well, I think that, um, you know, hearing both of you give like a very different perspective on this era, you know, raises some interesting questions. You know, Matt seems to pine for the the purity of the of the vision, the excitement um, of the people participating, and uh, that has been, you know, denuded by the the VCs coming in and people who are just trying to make a buck. And, and Grant, you seem to have a little bit more on the on the side of like, well, we need to actually get things done. And, and now we're getting to a place where where rollups, among other technologies, are going to make stuff actually work. So I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, what you guys think about where we are today? Are we on the verge of potentially marrying those two uh, visions? Like people who have this really pure enthusiasm and excitement about what the technology can do, um, working with technology that's actually functional? I, Grant, Grant, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, it's, it's funny, you know, um, this week... Um, Aggregate layer two transactions uh, basically flipped um, layer one transactions on Ethereum. Wow. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. So, yeah, I think we definitely are getting there. And this is in the midst of, you know, a, a grinding bear market. Um, so, you, you know, when, when retail floods back in and there are products for them to use, you know, I think uh, it's, gonna, it's just going to be an explosion of layer two cheap activity. Aside from transaction scale, though, and we can dig into a lot of aspects of Ethereum, but aside from just transaction scale, which is that enables, do you see like qualitatively new stuff coming that it's because it sounds like your take on the ICO boom was, okay, look, you can raise capital at scale, but there's like literally like nothing you can deploy the capital to productively. Do you see new things you can deploy it to productively based on that scale or like other innovations that you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, you know, Quantity has a quality of its own. So when, when you get below the marginal cost needed to do 
uh, transactions. Um, you open up new use cases. You know, pro- probably the the oldest, um, most notable use case is like micropayments. So you know, being able to pay a, a nickel to read some yeah. text on a website or something. Um, you know, that's that's currently not feasible. Um, if Ethereum transactions cost a fraction of a penny, um, that that would be feasible. So. Yeah, it's it's funny too, you know, e- even just normal payments. Um, a lot of people don't know this. Um, there's more USDT uh, tether on Tron than there is on Ethereum. I actually am a, I'm actually very aware of that because it's particularly in sort of OTC markets that people do that, like in places like, well, so I was like living in Ukraine for a while. And if you, you wanted to do any OTC deals, like all of the dealers wanted to do it on Tron just because like the transaction fees were cheaper. And so I'm actually like super used to the Tron USDT workflow uh, because I think people don't generally appreciate how, uh, I think Argentina too, it's like Tron and Binance are like very big because of that and this is something that like ethereum hasn't really had access to because of like the the fees and that the 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 people who use it the most aren't used to yet exactly yeah so so you know tron is like this postmodern scam blockchain and the fact you have 40 billion dollars on it is like straight (laughs) out of like a fucking david lynch movie or something so like (laughs) i mean um so I think Ethereum can recapture that easily, uh, you know, because it's purely an issue of economics because it's centralized and cheap to use. And um, yeah, and, and a lot of people use it in the third world too, which is also, I think, very under under uh, appreciated. So Grant, would it be fair? Would it be fair to say now that like you're getting more excited about Ethereum, or that it's been like your interest has been like revving up somewhat, like since you know compared to where it's been in the last couple of years after like the you know let's say 2018 peak, or is that is that an accurate representation? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, I've always been pretty excited about it, but yeah, I think it's it's becoming a lot more tangible now. You know, the the roadmap to um, a billion people being able to use it um, relatively cheaply and functionally. Um, in 2018, uh, that, that roadmap was very hazy. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, all these architectural diagrams would be drawn up and thrown away with like sharding and things, of, things like that. And so, you know, now, now we have an actual architecture to, to pursue. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm, I'm excited about it now. And, uh, and Matt, I, I think we'd like to pose that same question to you for someone who has so much nostalgia for the, the good old Wild West days of what you called the golden ICO era. I'm, I'm curious what you're optimistic about right now in the Ethereum ecosystem and where it's headed. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like right now probably more optimistic than ever. Um, it's, uh, oh, yeah. we're, we're sort of in this like inverted phase um, as compared to like 2015 to 18, where now, um, you know, like the promise of Ethereum 2.0 is, is like actually um, in front of us. However, there is, um, there's not enough crack pipes. So I sort of like to mm. One track mind. You bought all the drugs on uh, Silk Road when Grant wasn't, I guess. I, I bought no drugs but <laughs> i i sort of sell drugs of the mind um so i after 2017 i learned to sort of like disappear in bull markets and reappear in bear markets um i mm. think like you know i bring the crack pipes and 
cracked pipes are like a hazard in bull markets and it kind of disgusts me. And in bear markets, they're like a, a compass or like a fuel that's like needed. So um, I think now like some of the grander dreams of crypto are finally like within our grasp. Um, I also think crypto has like very much mainstreamed, um, you know, and like the memes are out there. Um, but there's like really a lack of vision. Um, you know, it's like, sure, there's plenty of quantity, but like um, th there was more vision back in, I don't know, 2015, 16, when it was a bunch of idiots. I hear this actually from investors now. Um, when I talk, like people will literally phrase it as like, you know, I just don't see anything interesting crossing my desk. Like there's just like, like it's, it's essentially the same stuff, but more. So I'm, what I really want to ask you is what are your current like crack pipes right now? If those are getting passed out, like what do you see that could like break that? What like sort of specifically has you excited or seeing new possibilities or the ability to kind of get people high again? We really love an extended metaphor, don't we? Definitely. It's going to keep going. You know, I'm, I'm amazed by how strongly everyone seems to have latched on to this, like, a DAO is like, you know, an on-chain corporation type of thing. Um, whereas, like, I wish that DAO stood for, like, decentralized autonomous organism. Um, you know, I think it's more of this, like, spectrum of, like, AI to sort of, like, human organism. Um, so I think we're ready for this, like, experimentation of different, like, agencies on crypto. Mm. Um, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, I also think that we're ready for, like, you know, to, to really, like, bring out the crack, crack pipe, um, you know, experimentation with, like, I don't know, the fabric of reality. Um, you know, it's like, I think crypto is, you know, like a completely new form of clock. Um, and um, from it, uh, it it's, it's like a, a mechanism for like different sub-realities to form. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think anyone's really being like imaginative, imaginative enough along those threads. But I think finally the tools are there and the like awareness of at least like the terms on a widespread scale are there. Yeah, I mean, I think this leads directly into something I wanted to ask you about, with with which fits all of the the crack piping and and creativity and um, you know brand expanding stuff you were talking about, which is your blockchain uh, religion. I believe you're you're a prophet, as as we alluded to. Some people call you the the crypto sire. So I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about. Um, zero x omega am i am i pronouncing that right uh, i don't want to offend your beliefs no you got it zero x omega um and you know actually to sort of like um i, I don't know like clear the air on this um i'm i'm personally very jewish so zero x omega as i conceive of it is more of a like a set of tools for um anyone's belief sets to uh, you know, sort of like get jetpacks and come into the, uh, you know, like the, the postmodern or the post postmodern. Um, so Xerox Omega 
started as as uh, what could have been an art project and became kind of something else. Um, I uh, prior to that was was you know like pretty hardcore like uh, secular Jew atheist thinking, and uh, I had these like quasi religious experiences with crypto, um, but I I would have never like properly labeled them as that. And um, so Zero X Omega is conceived as a framework for using, um, you know, like mechanism design on crypto to um, structure belief sets, update belief sets, um, and coordinate people around missions. Um, it's very like agnostic to what belief set you place on it. Um, my favorite like interview was in um, America Magazine, which is like Jesuit Catholic. Um, and I'd like to see like everyone building on these things. Um, so it's not like one specific religion. Um, you know, it, it's more of like, you know, like a meme or um, a technical design that's meant to like provoke other people actually building stuff that can be used um, to bring belief sets and communities and coordination of people, um, you know, into the new era. Oh, I just, I just wanted to wrap up with one thread I'm seeing here before we move on, which is that like for you, Matt, it seems like there's this, I don't know, like almost alien aspect to crypto where you're excited by the ability of like, you know, the, what you call the ICO golden age to like get people acting in a certain way or producing a certain kind of like enthusiasm or ecstasy, um, you know, the possible religious aspects to come out there that you're getting at, like how you want people to sort, and also talking about you, like the, the fact that the casino uses itself to kind of, you know, bootstrap itself to almost take over humanity. So it's, I, I, I also like, I don't know, I don't have like completely the same takes as you, but I actually think that's an underappreciated aspect of crypto. And when people call it, you know, a scam or freak out about those things. I think they're sort of right in the wrong way sometimes, which is what they really mean is that it's able to like hijack a part of humanity in some way and get it doing things almost for itself. And I think that's like a really, actually like a really profound aspect of it that people haven't sort of grappled with when they're in the middle of like, you know, bull markets and like, you know, raising money or like figuring out like how their cap table looks. I think they sometimes lose track of like how weird all of this is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like two frames of it. There's like the, uh, you know, in the present from a human standpoint, this is like disgusting frame, which I'm like kind of on the extreme end. I when bull markets get hot, I, I go to conferences and give talks where I tell everyone to sell everything, you know, that everyone's a scammer. Then there's the other side of it, which is like we are essentially being employed and incentivized by like you know, some future AI, um, like all of this is, is just like bringing into existence this thing in the future. And, um, you know, people tend to go bananas when they like, um, you know, it's like catnip for, uh, for capitalists, um, you know, when, when they discover crypto, um, and, and that's like the beauty of it, right. It like reprograms mm -hmm. us. Yeah. There's something deeply crazy there. I, th I think what I appreciate about um, the, you know, I know it's, you know, calling it a religion is a bit tongue in cheek, but um, 
Zero X Omega is that you seem to have approached crypto almost with like a blank slate where you're reasoning backward from the the technology itself and asking what can this be used to do and create new experiences and new structures rather than I feel like so many people approach crypto and like what thing that already exists can we slap crypto onto to enhance it or what thing can we replace with crypto and this project idea art project uh, seems to say hey what can we create that's new and refocuses how we think and and build ideas and work with each other on an interpersonal level which I, I think is just it's fun you know that's that's the point of of having like something so new is to really change our experience. Yeah, I really see it as like something alien or like something coming from like the outside in. Um, you know, I think we've like reached like a culmination of an era um, and it's very stagnant and there's a lot of like despair and misdirection. And we clearly like um, both need something, you know, like brand new and, uh, you know, it's also coming. Um, like my like, conception of DAOs is sort of like siphonophores, um, you know, sort of like the deep sea creatures that are like made up of like lots of different organisms that like do various tasks. Um, yeah, I mean, it, so, so it goes on this like, um, you know, like AI to human spectrum of DAOs um, where uh, right now it's just like, oh, corporation that like, you know, structured on chain or whatever. But um, really, you know, it could be something as alien as like, you know, you have like, you know, like a completely private smart contract that's like running on like multi-party computes or um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, like homomorphic encryption schemes and, and stuff like that. Um, so that like humans, no one can sort of like observe like the internal logic, um, but there's this like hard-coded utility that it's supposed to be doing. And you sort of, like, at the core almost have, like, runaway AI. Um, and then, like, you know, you have, like, various other components, like prediction markets or incentive markets or things like this um, that are sort of, like, incentivizing, like, human actors or, you know, fucking GPT quasi-human actors to, like, do various things. Um you know, where, where it really is not like a, oh, this is like a different corporation. It's like, this is like a hybrid intelligence. Um, like, it's like a, yeah, like a, any, anything from like that, where it's like a proper, like, AI that's sort of just like getting other causal channels and like, you know, mechanisms to like hire people effectively um, to, you know, like the Xerox Omega thing where it's like, oh, let's like create like a proper like um, collective uh, consciousness um, using mechanism design. Awesome. I mean, oh, Grant, I'm curious uh, what you make of all this. Like, do <laughs> you also, you know, find yourself uh, contemplating deep sea creatures and future AI overlords and, and these spiritual questions when you relate to crypto, or is it something more concrete? Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds like what you guys are describing is the concept of like an egregore. Which is this, <laughs> Go on. Like, non-physical entity that arises like from the collective thoughts or will of like a group of people. Um, so I, I I think there's certainly an aspect of that to crypto. Um, you know, you look at its genesis. You know, in the great financial crisis, the the first message on the Bitcoin blockchain 
was like chancellor on the brink of bail, second bailout to banks uh, in the UK. Um, so you know, yeah, you know there, yeah there there is certainly like this animating spiritual ethos that drives it. Um, but if you just look like more granularly, like at, you know, especially in bull markets, like why is the average normie putting uh, his month's paycheck into Dogecoin? You know, it's because num- number go up. You know, so I think yeah. <laughs> that can be a spiritual experience if number go up real fast. Uh, actually, unironically, it actually is. I think. No, yeah. I mean, like this is this is a, a, a slight detour, but like when the you know the first ICO I was involved in, like way back, you know, is like when it made money rather suddenly. I like I was the first time I was involved in any sort of crypto stuff, and it was kind of. It was shocking and thrilling and, uh, you know, converted me in this, uh, this real way. Um, it, it really, it also, it also helped that the, the night before, um, a bunch of people at a bachelor party had, had done a lot of Molly and gone to a strip club and I was tabbed with paying for the, uh, the, the groom's stripper bill, which turned out to be like a thousand dollars I didn't have. So it was, it was a good timing. For the ICO. <laughs> uh, all right, back you know, back to normal stuff. I just wanted to get in on the spiritual crack pipe experience that everyone else was having and let you know that I've been there too. It's real. I, I think there's and I think there's something there about number go up. I think it's what I noticed in just the last bull market, and it was similar in the previous bull market, was people didn't really care if there was some like, I don't know, 10x gain. Like they were looking for just like a thousand X. They wanted to go from just like middle class working a noble job to just out of it. They wanted to win the lottery. That was sort of like, that seemed to be mm-hmm. kind of what crypto was providing. And I'm kind of curious, Grant, if you see that, like, is that just going to continue? Or do you think as we get into use cases, for example, um, just as, you know, as, as actual value is created on Ethereum, is, is crypto going to be able to move into, uh, is it going to become more, I don't know, maybe boring but useful and kind of move away from people who are just seeking massive gain or is kind it, of what's your, is it going to become like reading trad investing blogs about like, yeah. you know, your response It's going to become like reading strategery all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that's, 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 so that, that's what we call fundamentals. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for, for better or worse, crypto will develop fundamentals um, that actually give it real value. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly has some right now. But and yeah. do you think do you think scaling is enough? Like, I don't know. I'm kind of curious specifically on your take on DApps and kind of what has been kind of the state of DApps so far, decentralized applications. Like, do you think with scaling that will kind of take off, or is that sort of the wrong section to be thinking about? I'm curious because it's been a huge story. Yeah, you know, some, sometimes the answer really is that like simple, right? <laughs> like everyone wants this, you know, counterintuitive 5D chess, you know, sort of vision. But like, yeah, literally, I think if things get cheap enough and fast enough, um, you know, if, if you build it, they will come. They they have come in the past. And they'll they'll be back, right? That's that's sort of my uh, my take. Um, and certainly, um, you know, new DApps around areas like around like identity, which would enable under collateralized lending, um, you know, certain real real world asset things. Uh, those could also supercharge uh, the space and and, and greater adoption. Um, 
So, yeah. Do, I mean, do you think you, you mentioned a couple of things like um, under collateralized lending? And do you think the, the dApps that are going to move people on are going to be financial based like that? Because I, I think that's a conversation I have with a lot of people who who think like, oh, I'll never be on crypto because even even when it works, it's just going to be finance type things, which, you know, a, a, a big portion of the population is into, but also a lot of people are content to let that pass them by. Yeah, well, you know, I think so. There's this um, protocol called login with Ethereum. You can log into any site with your Ethereum wallet. Um, you know, imagine being able to do micropayments or just, just interact with the internet, right, with a crypto wallet. Um, or, or God forbid, you know, pay for um, your rent, your electrical bill, uh, you know, something in the store, right, with a crypto wallet. So, yeah, so at, at a high level, I think finance will encompass a lot of it. But, you know, NFTs certainly show us that's not, mm-hmm. it's not the only use case. Um, I personally don't really get them, but uh, a lot of people do. And, you know, that's uh, they, they, they've maintained their value in the face of uh, some, some of them have maintained their value in the face of, you know, this huge broader draw, drawdown we've had. I think, yeah, I've, I've really been persuaded about NFTs as clubs. Like when I thought about them as like art, it really didn't make any sense to me. But I don't know, like people pay a lot of money to hang out with the people they want to hang out with, you know, if it makes them feel good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's sort of like this uh, Veblen good, you know, status symbol, I guess. And so mm-hmm. and community uh, marker. Uh, I wonder what Matt thinks about uh, NFTs. <laughs> there you go. You're a professional podcaster now. You, you've mastered the transition. Yeah. So first of all, I, I think I'm going to slightly disagree with Grant about, you know, the, the what is enough, what brings in fundamentals question. I don't think scaling is enough. Um, I think crypto still has like yet to do anything that's like real. Um, and just like scaling, you know, like internal to crypto, um, more finance stuff, um, you know, is, is sort of like ushering in a next casino market, which very much could bring a massive bull. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think it necessarily like, um, makes it sustainable or brings in fundamentals. Um, mm-hmm. I think crypto very much needs to do something that either like, you know, has direct revenue and like a reason for that revenue that like occurs in a real way, um, or it needs to do something like both fundamentally new, but also new and that like people really want. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, um, might come in terms of like organization, which kind of goes into like the club element. Um, so like, all right, to, to, to use like probably a common word in this circle, um, I did not purchase a milady. I refused to purchase a milady. I refused to do anything <laughs> to sort of like troll the, the milady community. And part of the reason why, or maybe the primary reason why is like, um, you know, bull market, I was pretty checked out. I, I try to stay away from them. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like lurking on fucking Twitter and everyone's like messaging me about Milady. And I literally was almost like, okay, this could be a figment of my imagination, like something that was just like purely created in my head because it brings together so many ideas I've like thought through and like different communities of mine that are sort of converging. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm staying away from this. This is like very unhealthy. Um, however, um, yeah, I, I think it's sort of, you know, 
created this like psychotic cult and brought in something like, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous sort of like, <laughs> um, you know, like identity and, and collective um, and, and brought that to, you know, like NFT PFPs. Um, right. So does that feel like you're sort of agreeing with Grant and Bitchell and being like, um, oh, well, you know, club like clubs are the big thing. And it's something that people like sort of the clubs, these clubs can get wacky and crazy. But that is a thing people want to do. Yeah, I, well, I guess, um, you know, to, to bring in the crack pipe again, I don't think it's necessarily so much going to be. Well, OK, so like more practically, I think like DAOs that enable sort of like guild structures, like you almost shouldn't call them DAOs in the current context of like how DAO is currently used, but just mm-hmm. like things that aren't just like Corporation 2.0 that enable people to like produce a product, um, you know, like pseudonymously on the internet in a way that like could not be done otherwise. Like that's something that I am pretty optimistic about and is like less trippy than sort of the like, um, you know, like cult digression. Um, but no, I don't necessarily so much just mean club um, as I mean sort of these like, you know, reality sharding cults. Let me seg that then to like the only thing we talk about probably more than Ethan here, which is Urbit. And I want to know if whether like sort of, I guess I'll start with Matt, like your take on whether it's a either a necessary or sufficient condition uh, for hitting some of this like wacky, almost like program, you know, programmatically recom- like combinatorial world uh, or whether it's, you know, either missing something or too far away. Well, actually, um, and, and I, 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 since this like podcast is on the topic of um, early Ethereum, I wanted to say this like, one mistake I've perpetually made and I've learned mm-hmm. from is that when you are too close to like a project, there is a tendency to, in a completely rational way, be like overly pessimistic. Um, hmm. And I did that repeatedly with Ethereum. And I think now many people may be falling into that trap with Urbit, right? Where they're like seeing all of the inadequacies and are thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like a shit show. This is never going to be real. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is nothing compared to how much of a shit show Ethereum was. And yet <laughs> it kept, like, number go up and people go up, right? Um, anyways, on that note, I think that and, – and I'm not going to say there's, like, a higher than half chance of this. There's, like, lower, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, much higher than people would expect. Um, Urbit um, may become real before Ethereum does. Um, Interesting. yes – I think it's missing, you know, like smart contracting and that's good bar. Um, mm-hmm. But those together, I mean, Ethereum may do another, you know, whatever crypto finance thing and Urbit, Ukbar may come in and do, you know, like real guilds or real communities. For our listeners who don't know what Ukbar is, because we've been a little bit precious about that relative to other topics, although we will, like, you know, let the beast out of its cage at some point. It's a um, basically <laughs> smart contracting uh, ZK roll-up system uh, on top of Ethereum that, like, sort of natively integrates with Urbit. And the idea is to kind of make these, like, you know, programmatic um, religious experiences possible in the sense of, like, you know, <laughs> really, I almost mean literally from the perspective of a programmer, like, you can sort of 
of do all this and make it all happen and then unlock these kind of weird structures that Matt is talking about. But I, I want to like, you know, just pull on that a little bit more, a few, a few parts of it, because that's actually probably the most interesting take we've had maybe about Urbit or Ethereum on the show to this point of like uh, the pessimism that people have when they're close to it. And I think that you've directly experienced in Ethereum um, because, you know, I think you are totally right that for those of us who are very close to both projects, uh, it's easy to feel like, you know, it's really far away. And sometimes I do take a step back and like look at some of the stuff that we can do as we develop day to day in Ukbar um, on Urbit. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually, you know, pretty crazy, the kind of stuff that's there. But I'm going to turn that statement into a question now, which is, do you think uh, either of you guys maybe – let me actually start with Grant and then come back to Matt. Can we talk about like what you think were some of sort of the mistakes in early Ethereum or that you think that people should learn from that? Because I think we've talked a lot about where it's going now. But from the early days, what is some stuff like Grant that you take with you of like sort of don't do things that way or now I know this uh, when I see it happening in other projects or in the world? Yeah, pro- well, probably the biggest mistake, the most controversial thing Ethereum did early on was um, hard forking from the DAO. Mm. Um, you know, that that really undermines uh, for a while uh, the narrative of Ethereum as, you know, a, a neutral base layer. And uh, arguably, so taking the counterpoint to my argument, one could say, like, it also filtered out a lot of, you know, extremely ideologically strict and, um, you hmm. know, inflexible like neckbeards who would just be a toxic presence. Um, mm-hmm. But I think on that, it was probably the wrong thing to do. Um, and so that that was a huge mistake. Um, because, you know, those people went on who, who got bailed out to just lose their money anyway. And the, the, you know, the <laughs> coin ICO boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so, Interesting. Um, I think certainly... Very, very, very early on, you know, uh, it was it was a huge mess, right? Like in Switzerland, there are some great books about this. Um, if anyone's curious, like, yeah, what are, uh, what yeah, are Laura Shin's books? book is quite is quite good. I'm, I'm trying to remember we the can title. Put them in the sh- the show notes. Yeah, too. so there there is a is book that called Cryptopia. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is a book called um, um, Out of the Ether. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's a great book about um, uh, the DAO. Um, yeah, Laura Shin's book is pretty good. The Cryptopians. So yeah, there, 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 but there's been a lot of journalistic attention on it. Um, another great book is the Infinity Machine. Uh, that's my favorite, actually, by Camila Russo, and that mm-hmm. really goes into the early Ethereum. How you know all the drama of uh, what you know Charles Hoskinson and Vitalik and Gavin Wood, and how you know the band the band split up. And I uh, never got back together again. And uh, they all went their own ways. And yeah, so anyway, I, I don't know if that's not so much a mistake. It's just a typical early startup with too many founders. Another like mistake that's not a mistake is just all the time that was spent chasing um, paths that didn't work out uh, with regards to scaling and so forth. On that, though, I don't, I don't think it's like... It hasn't gone that badly. <laughs> yeah, I think the timing. People, I mean, what like pla- the sort of plasma false uh, detour was like sort of by mid late 2018, and then roll up architecture was like you know a year, year and a half later. And in the grand yeah. scheme of things, I think the you know Egregore is sort of bootstrapping itself just fine. 
Um, but yeah, yes. it was in the moment. It seemed really bad. I, I remember that. Um, Matt, I'm curious, like from your end, what do you think, uh, what is your take on sort of mistakes that you like look back on either the, like that you made or that you see in Ethereum in general? Sure. So, I mean, my, my conclusion is very much what you just said that it's, um, it's actually doing fine. Um, I would say the largest mistake in general was probably just having like a vacuum of proper leadership, um, that enabled poor leadership to sort of like become loud voices and alongside that like improper capital allocation. Um, so one thing about, and, and this goes into leadership is that like, um, I think that Polkadot, Cosmos, and uh, Definity uh, essentially should have never split off from Ethereum. Um, mm. Like, I, I think, mm. especially like Gavin Wood and Polkadot, um, that was a huge loss, and I don't think it was necessary. Um, I think that was sort of like, um, yeah, I don't know. Ethereum needed like a CEO or something. Um, Vitalik is more talented, um, brilliant, and particularly like a better person than anyone knows. Um, but there wasn't proper like, you know, not everyone's a like CEO. A, Those are different things. No, not everyone's a CEO. And also like he was a kid when like this mm -hmm. was starting, right. And I think there were also too many bad co-founders maybe not not bad but just like got too much and shouldn't have been there um but yeah like like gavin should have stayed in ethereum and i don't pin that on gavin um and i think um you know all the polka dot innovation should have been a part of ethereum i also think that like um you know like jay uh and ethan and uh cosmos like really were kind of part of Ethereum for the first few years. And that was a loss, um, you know, and, and same with Dufinity to some extent. Um, I think Joe Lubin is a ridiculously special, talented person who could have been like utilized more effectively. Um, Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think all of that, um, yeah, I think like technical progress would be like 2x from here. Um, oh, I have, I, I'll stop there, but I have more, more threads after this. Yeah, that's interesting. So just summing that part up, I think like in terms of, I don't know, you know how to categorize the mistake, but just like finding someone or having a structure evolve to like, I mean, I want to say it in like such a formal way, but like to like manage human resources seems to be like a real thing in terms of not just having people, but like how they're fit together, who does that. And if you kind of get lucky in terms of fitting them together. Um, but I think, Nilran, you had something you wanted to follow up here with on what yeah, Matt was well, saying. Yeah, it's quite interesting because it's, you know, you're talking about Matt having a leader, right? And, you know, some people probably because we're way more on the outside than you or Grant were um, for Ethereum, we kind of see Ethereum as like the more, uh, the blockchain with more leadership, right? Compared to say, for example, uh, Bitcoin. So I'm kind of curious, just more generally, maybe I'll, I'll flip this over to Grant. 
just like your view, Grant, on when things should really decentralize, because it seems like there's a lot of pressure for projects to decentralize early. Um, but Matt was able to kind of point out, you know, a lot of issues with having a power vacuum. Um, so I'm curious, Grant, like, do you see, do you think just kind of generally projects have been decentralizing too early? And kind of how do you, how do you kind of evaluate that? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I used to be um, much more in the camp of um, Ethereum just needs a strong centralized leader uh, to push things forward. Mm. And, you, you know, this is an ancient political debate that goes back thousands of years. It's like the efficiency yep. of uh, autocracy versus the sort of, you know, distributed nature, wisdom, and uh, I guess resiliency of like a more democratic system. Um, so, uh, yeah, essentially Ethereum was definitely hamstrung for a long time by just like leadership and aptitude and, uh, you know, some like bad decision-making or no decision-making or some people who got in who were like sort of powers behind the throne who maybe weren't as effective as like a proper leader would be with like a proper org chart who was, you know, transparently accountable. Yeah. Um, just a, there's a slight tangent. There's a great essay called the tyranny of structurelessness about feminist movements in like the seventies and how they just became like corrupted and broke down because, uh, you know, they didn't need any patriarchal leadership. Um, so, you know, it, it ended up that, uh, <laughs> essentially, um, you know, a few people would just like be calling the shots and no one really knew who they were or, and it turned into a very toxic dynamic. Um, but yeah, with, to answer your question, I do, I definitely think, you know, in the early stages, you certainly need, um, a much, much, much more centralized organization to just build the stuff and iterate quickly. And then, you know, you gradually decentralize over time. And I think this is sort of the received wisdom of crypto. And, um, one reason why I think a lot of projects fail isn't so much that they decentralize too early. It's that they IPO too early. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you make $100 million um, a year after launching um, with, and your token trades publicly, like, that kind of kills the work incentive. You know, like, there's this very Lindy, I think, well-designed incentive scheme in traditional venture capital that, like, you don't get an exit until your shit's, like, really solid and you know, relatively big or you get acquired or you IPO and I will note I will note that like hilariously there was a point, you know, not even not even the dot com boom, but like prior to that, like there also was a phase when that wasn't true in public markets. Like if you look at the time scale on which like, you know, the Netscape founders like got very rich, it was actually like really fast. Um, and there actually was yeah. a time sort of so. pre Sarbanes Oxley and like dot com boom where the public markets were actually a lot more like that. And it was mostly the main discipline was just imposed by like what the public and institutions would buy and less on like, I don't know, it does feel like the current system does have a little bit too much of this like moral aspect where you have to like slave for years to get it there. Whereas prior companies were able to, you know, get still do stuff after going public and getting really wealthy. I think that's an interesting question with respect to something like Urbit, which has so much internal debate about, you know, whether our, our beautiful little baby is ready for the outside world or if it needs to stay in the bubble and things like not only will normie users corrupt it, but will money corrupt it? Like, is this is the system strong enough? 
um, either, you know, from a values perspective, if that's something you care about, or whether the, the tech itself is there. So I, I'm curious, um, I guess, Grant, like, if if you feel like Urbit is reaching a place where it's it's ready for the outside world, or does it still need to, to do a little bit more internal development? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's like um, super binary. Uh, so, you, you know, the outside world can like slowly be let in. Like I saw it today, Delphi Digital was tw- uh, tweeting about Urbit and they just wrote a big report about it. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it seems to me that like, you know, uh, I think, I think Urban is certainly needs a little more outside world, but not full on. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. That, that's basically where I would stand right now. Don't want it to be homeschooled and turn out weird. Yes. yes. <laughs> There's this funny like balancing too, between like, you don't want the core devs to like make too much money right now, but you also want to be able to like keep hiring more core devs and keep building out the system. <laughs> it's an interesting balancing act. Benevolent dictator yeah. needs to control their lunch money and allowances. I, I, have, I have strong opinions here. Um, so yes. I, I, I was with um, he who um, shall not be named last night. I heard... <laughs> Um, for, we're allowed to. We're, we're in a post. We're in a post, like uh, you know, Curtis World. You're allowed. You're allowed to like say the name Trump. You're with Trump. Yeah. Trump, exactly. Gonna, like you were. You were plotting insurrections. And I and I heard <laughs> as for one does like hundredth or maybe more than hundredth fucking time from either Curtis or Galen the oh well like uh, you know like the greatest value of a social network uh, is like you know the quality of the community. Uh, yada yada and uh, Urbit, you know, makes it hard to like get on. And that's like a fucking, you know, blessing. And, um, you know, um, the, the value of the social network thing is true. Um, you know, like I spent time in my youth going back and looking through Usenet and, you know, like reminiscing and whatnot. And then what.cd is like, the death of what.cd marked the death of like the internet for me. And I still am sad about it. Um, I was a heavy user. Yeah. yeah. That was a great um, site. However, you know, at this point with Urbit or even like the last five fucking years, it's cope uh, simply mm-hmm. because Urbit's like scared or like unfucking willing to just like bring it to the outside world. Uh, and uh, yeah, like absolutely, uh, Urbit needs to be out there. Um, art also, like Urbit needs fucking capital. Like <laughs> this, like question is ridiculous at this point. Like Urbit, in some ways, is like more mature than fucking Ethereum, and it like does more. Um, and it's also like Amen. it's it's like capitalized like a uh, what like you know coin market cap. 200 shitcoin um no like urban needs to be fucking out there um the the hordes of like idiots need to flood in um capital needs to flood in urban needs to be built out um it's it's like it's it's dumb and it makes me angry at this point yeah i think um i think that's a really good perspective that i often have and then sometimes forget but just like the one of how far advanced it is relative to crypto projects that are you know capitalized in like literally the billions and tens of billions of dollars 
Um, to add context for our listeners, when he said that he was talking to Curtis and Galen, Curtis was the uh, one of the original founders of Urbit who left about, I think now it's almost four years ago, um, and Galen is the current CEO of one of the sort of more prominent companies in the ecosystem, Tlon, which he founded with Curtis. Um, so yeah, I think um, there is this sort of old blood, new blood thing where, look, I mean, I'm just going to say it, like definitely, there, there are definitely people in the Urbit ecosystem who like think that I'm a like, I don't know, like, archivist or, like, uh, like entryist. <laughs> um, because I think I share your feeling that, like, you know, it's it's time to do stuff. Like, we we need to be, like, like, sort of proud of what we have and get it out there and, like, really, like, you know, compete in the deep end uh, with the sharks of crypto to horribly mix the metaphor. So it's it's exciting to get that validation from someone who's been around, like, you know, very, very prominent and successful early, like early stage crypto projects. And I think, you know, I think it's something we try to remind ourselves of. And even just having you guys on the pod is part of, um, you know, spreading that narrative. And a big part of what we're doing is like getting those, like those narratives out um, to the, you know, I think to the ETH and the urban world. I mean, there's a, there's a degree to which, you know, like, uh, the the new money of West Egg can never satisfy the old money of East Egg, right? It's just there's if you if you position yourself that way, then that divide can never be bridged, and you end up entrenched in that position, whether or not it makes any sense anymore. If that's how you you define yourself, yeah. There, there's a saying on 4chan like uh, every year, you know, it's like the the new arrivals on 4chan have ruined 4chan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's like eternal December, uh, September, right? I know I only learned where that phrase came from recently, so it's kind of it kind of <laughs> shocked me. I think it's a good sign in general for like a project if people are worrying about the new people on the project. Like something good is probably happening, and I think there was probably maybe even too long a period in Urbit where people weren't worrying about new people because like there weren't new people. So this is my long-winded way of justifying my sometimes uh, egregious behavior. Um, yeah, there's the, like new people thing, but there's there's also maybe even more than that, um, like a like an eternal like Urbit's not ready, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. Urbit's not ready. Urbit still fucking sucks, like to use. Like I hardly use Urbit. It's like comical. However, it's more ready than like every other fucking crypto project. Like it, it just has to get out there, and like the way for it to get more ready is for it to be like used for people to want to use it, for people to complain, and for a lot more money to go into, like, making it ready. Tested by fire. Preach it. Nice, Matt. Uh, loving the call to action, and I think it's been really cool to... I, I, I like the, really like the feeling of contextualizing the stuff that, you know, your lovely podcast hosts are doing in Urbit and kind of tying that uh, to both what's happening in Ethereum and where it's been, because I think that's the project that we all admire the most outside of urban and are obviously sort of the most, you know, maybe even financially and technically connected to in what we do in Ukbar. Um, and so it's, it's really cool to sort of just put all of those threads together. And I think our listeners can connect a lot of the dots in terms of where those points of intersection are. And also like, I don't, just where we should have more confidence as like whether, you know, you're into Urbit, whether you're, um, you know, liking where Ethereum's going, whether you're excited about what Ukbar can do. Like when you have one of the good projects, like, you know, be confident about it, like get money into it. And like, you know, 
have some fucking taste and build some good things. So really loved having you guys on for that. And we don't. I guess uh, Bitchell and I will be at ETH Denver, so I'm not sure if you guys will, but the network age is yeah. physically instantiating now. So if you guys are, we'll see you. Otherwise, we will talk to people who know you. <laughs> I'll be there, yeah. I'll, oh, cool. I'll be there awesome. Potentially under a different name. Um, okay. But you can uh, try to find me. Um, this was a blast. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was it was absolutely awesome to have you guys. I look forward to uh, the needle in a haystack search that I'm going to take to find you, Matt. Look through every <laughs> every register. <laughs> the guy, the cracked out guy, name. lying lying yeah. on the ground, yeah, yeah, like exactly. drooling a fake to, name to onto himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right, super hands. Yeah. All, right. All right. Well, this was awesome. We're gonna um, put. Matt and Grant's um, pet peeves in the the show notes and all the different writings that were were referenced there. Uh, This has been an awesome episode, awesome discussion. And uh, to all our listeners, we'll see you next time on The Network Age. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Network Age. It'll really help us to keep getting our ideas out there, getting, you know, great guests and giving you what you want if you can just help us with a few things uh subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice uh give us a good rating if you liked it you know hit that five stars and our twitters are in the show notes for me bitchell and nil run so follow us retweet promote the show and we will keep giving you that amazing network age content that you love <laughs>